welcome to our verse-by-verse -verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ's kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. to Matthew 13 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew. And in this study I've entitled The Savior King and His Kingdom. We'll open up with a word of prayer and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and this day. We thank you for all that you give us. We ask, Lord, for your blessing on this time and as we, as we come with um, our ups, our downs, our, our highs, our lows, our good, our bad, whatever it is that we, we bring to a time like this, Lord, we know, Lord God, that you know. And we know that uh, you celebrate with us when we celebrate, you mourn with us when we mourn, that you are, you know our, you know what's going on, and you, you are acquainted with us and our things. And so we thank you for that. But for this brief time, we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to focus our attention on your word and what you want to say to your church by your spirit through your messenger. And we thank you, Lord, for this time. And we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that made Jesus' ministry on the earth so remarkable was his teaching. And it says in Mark 1.22, and they, those who listened to Jesus' teaching, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. When Jesus taught, he wasn't referring to rabbis, he wasn't referring to commentaries, he wasn't referring to so-and-so said, or, or this is what I think it means, or, or anything like that. When Jesus taught, bam, this is the truth. And it was very clear and it was so distinct and so different than anyone else that it astonished everyone that heard him. Now, Jesus' miracles were pretty amazing too. And they, they confirmed and, they, and they, um, they, they were evidence that his words were from God. All through Jesus' time in public ministry, he had to deal with people. You know, that's the reality of ministry. If you're in ministry, you're dealing with people. And, you know, it's usually pretty good. Usually. Sometimes it's a little hard. We look at how Jesus, you know, Jesus dealing with people, you know, he was dealing with people that struggled to believe him. Some refused to believe him. And that's the reality of all, all of humanity throughout time. There are people who believe, there are people who struggle to believe, and there are people who refuse to believe. Today, we're going to look at one of the ways that Jesus taught that was different, not, not so different that it was, you know, not 
that it was particularly peculiar, but the way he did it was so profound that we still talk about it 2,000 years later. Let's pick it up in chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day, the same day as what was happening in chapter 12, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, that'd be the Sea of Galilee, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. Now, multitudes, again, when you hear the word multitudes, you've got to understand these are hundreds, probably thousands of people gathering around And it says that he spoke many things to him. Now, we understand that the gospel writers, they record a lot, but they didn't record everything. So when it says many things in parables, in chapter 13, we have a record of eight parables. Guessing there were many more than eight in that. And someday we'll get to see, you know, we'll get get the un, un, you know, edited version of all of this, which I'm looking forward to. But we're going to look at eight of these parables. Actually, we're going to talk about one of them today. We'll pick up the rest over the next couple of weeks. Now, Albert, Albert Barnes defines a parable this way. A similitude, similitude, <clears throat> taken from a natural object to illustrate a spiritual or moral subject. So parables are, are literary tools to illustrate or elaborate on a point or a subject. So they explain, they, they, they give you a word picture so you have better understanding. So that's what a parable is used for. And what we have to keep in mind, anytime you're reading parables, anytime you're studying parables, it's the message of the parable that matters. The details of the parable are of much lower significance. It's always the message. If you put too much emphasis on the details, you'll end up missing the message. So that's very important that we don't, we don't look for anything beyond the main point of the, of, the, of the parable. And the parable typically is only trying to illustrate one point. Not multiples, not a whole series of points, not a, not a you know, a 12-part series of points. It's trying to illustrate one point. It's also important for us to understand that a parable was best understood by the culture it was originally written to. And so when we're, when we're listening to the parables that, that Jesus taught, we, we got to keep in mind that it was, it was the, the time that Jesus was there. That's the culture that he was speaking into. And so we got to be very careful not to try to force it into our culture, try to make it somehow translate into our culture. But the point of the parable is timeless. Whatever the point is, it applied in, in the, the first century and applies in the 20. Which one are we? 21st century. Which one are we in? 21st century. Whatever one. Whatever one it is. So, the point. We're always looking for the one main point. Now, there'll be sub-thoughts. There'll be different things that we're looking for as well. But the main point is what we're looking for. Verse 3, continuing on. Behold, a sower went out to sow. So, to Jesus' audience, this would have made, they, they knew exactly what this is. You know, maybe for the rest of us, we don't really have an idea. We can't imagine this. If you grew up around farming, you might have an idea what was going on here. But a sower is somebody who planted seeds, right? That, I think most of us probably figure that out. You've been around long enough. You've probably heard enough sermons on this. You know that's what a sower is. In that time, it was done by hand. 
You know, that they, typically they would drop seeds in a line or they, in some cases, you know, things where they're scattering a field, they're literally just scattering it. They're grabbing a handful and just casting it out into a field. And that's the image we kind of get here is that, you know, probably wheat or something like that. And they're just casting it out over this field and to, to plant these seeds. Everyone listening to Jesus would have understood that. They may very well pass somebody on the way from the house that he was at down to the sea, pass somebody who was doing it, which I believe very commonly, I believe that's what was going on. Jesus would see something, hey, here's a, that's a good parable right there. And he would just take what, you know, what was just right here around them and describe something, some spiritual reality. Verse four, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, if you were anything like me when you first heard this, you probably couldn't figure out what the point was. Okay, what's the point here? <clears throat> Thankfully, this is one of the parables that Jesus explains to us. Now, aren't you thankful when you get to something in Scripture, it's like, I have no idea what that means, and then you read a little bit further, oh, okay, they explain it to us, we understand it now. Of the eight parables that we're going to look at in chapter 13 over the next few weeks, two of them are explained which means six of them aren't, meaning we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work our way through some of those ones, some of those other ones. But we're going to get to the explanation later. Let's continue reading in the chapter. Verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is so important to us. And we sometimes miss this. Jesus is saying here that it is the responsibility of the hearer to pay attention and understand. It's, up, it, it's, it's, not, it's not up to the teacher. He needs to do his job. He needs to do his part. But it's up, to the, it's up to the hearer to pay attention, to understand, and then ultimately to respond. Naturally, the disciples are curious, and they're curious probably about the style of teaching that Jesus is using here. As he's, as he's teaching to the multitudes, the thousands of people around, I mean, I mean, it's a great ministry opportunity. If you're going to see some work done for, you know, the gospel message, you want as many people around as possible. You know, I'm one of those people that, you know, you, yeah, I mean, if you, if you told me today that I could preach in front of 100,000 people, I would say, sign me up. I'm ready to go. You know, I, I, it's not about the number, but man, that's a great field to plant, plant seeds into. Why did he do it like that? Let's read verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. If you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians one. When the Bible refers to a mystery. We'll get back to the rest of what it says, but this idea of a mystery, it's been, it's been, it's been granted or given to you to, to understand, to hear and understand the mystery. You, you have, you've been given this mystery. 
It's revealing to something that, that God has kept hidden up until this point. A mystery, a biblical mystery, is something that God must reveal, otherwise it will remain a mystery. You can only understand it if God reveals it. Human logic, human, you know, wisdom or knowledge or whatever cannot discover what God hides. Does that make sense? If God hides it, you're not finding it. And so when you see mystery in the scripture, that's what it's referring to. It's referring to something that God has hidden. And he has kept it hidden until such time as he chooses to reveal it to them whom he chooses to reveal it to. Because it, he may, in this case, he's seeing that there's a mystery that God has given to the disciples that he's not revealing to the multitudes. So what is that mystery? Let's, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. According to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The mystery that is revealed, the mystery that has been given to the disciples, the mystery that has been given to you today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are the person, words, and works of Jesus Christ. That's the mystery, the reality that there was something God planned from the foundation of the time to deal with the problem of sin was that we would have a way out of that to, to, get, to receive the forgiveness of sins, the cleansing of our sins, that we might be able to walk in the presence of God. That's the mystery. You can turn back to Matthew 13 now. If you think about that, why, why, why is that a mystery? Why, don't, why doesn't everybody get it? Douglas O'Donnell says this, that parables have two purposes. Parables have two primary purposes. Parables conceal and reveal. First, parables conceal the truth from those who will not submit to Christ and his rule. And second, parables reveal the truth to those who by God's grace will submit to Christ and his rule. If someone says, I will not believe, I will not receive Jesus Christ, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is hidden to them. They can't see it. They can't figure it out. Why, don't, why doesn't everyone get saved the first time they hear the gospel? Here's the hard reality, because they don't want to. They're unwilling. They're unwilling to believe. They're unwilling to receive. If you're unwilling, the mysteries of Christ will be hidden. They'll remain hidden. But if you're willing, they will be revealed to you. That's how we all got saved. At some point in our life, we were willing to believe. 
God does all the heavy lifting on that. He's the one that does actually save us. He's the one that, that, that gives us the faith so that we can believe. But if you're unwilling to do it, it's not happening. You know, somebody would say, well, why? You know, you know, you know, God will send somebody to hell. No, he won't. He won't send anyone to hell. He wants everyone to get saved. He wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to experience his love, his grace, his mercy, his hope, his peace, everything there is about him. They want his blessings. They want, they want etern- he wants eternal life for them. But if they're unwilling to yield their life to, to Christ, that's the way God made, right? He's God, right? Does God get to make the, how, make the decision how things go? Yes, he does. He's God. And if he is God, then he decides, okay, through Christ is how you get to me. We must first be willing. Verse 12. For whoever has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. God offers us salvation. It's a, it offers it to all of humanity. And he says, simply be willing to believe. If you're willing to believe, God does everything else. And those who are unwilling to believe, then God hides it. He hides the truth from them. And we don't like that. I don't know about you, but I don't like that that much. There's an act of both punishment and grace in that. If you are unwilling to yield your heart to Christ, you're unwilling to believe, then, then God, because he said this is, these are the rules, this is how it works, this is how, this is how salvation happens, and if you're unwilling to play according to God's rules, okay. <laughs> you gotta know, that comes at a cost. It's also a grace because you will be held accountable for everything you know. When you stand before Christ, when, you, when, those, when those who have rejected the gospel message in whatever form it came to them, if they reject it, they will stand before God and give an accounting for that. We have in here the, 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 in the parable of the sower, a couple of things we need to understand that are be pointed to us. The, the seed that's being sown is the word of God. The sower is Christ and everyone who came after him who spreads and and sows the seeds of the word of God. Everyone heard the same thing. Everyone that that was standing in that multitude heard the same thing. Everyone who heard Jesus from the day he started preaching to the day he ascended to heaven, they all heard the same words. The same seeds were cast. And, so, and the truth is, that's the same today. You know, as someone like me stands up here and gives forth and, and sows the word of God, 
and in whatever form that I'm doing it, or even as David, as he's leading in the, in the worship, those songs, preaching the word of God to the people of God, it's, it's the same one. Everyone is hearing the same thing, right? You know, people are, are seeing this, but they're responding differently. I mean, the example is, you know, the, you know people are, are, you know, the, the, the People see the truth of God being lived out through changed lives. That's one of the main ways the gospel is preached in your life, is that people see your life changing. And everyone sees the same thing. But they choose not to see the Jesus that changed the life. They hear the truth of God's word. God, God's word is preached either in a sermon form or even just in, in, the, in the casual expression of faith of a believer. They hear those words, but they refuse to accept it as truth. It's a choice. The same seed from the same sower, but different results based on the condition of the heart. Douglas O'Donnell again said, in these verses we are unashamedly presented with the tension often given in scripture, often, between divine sovereignty regarding election and human responsibility regarding rejection. There's a whole theology class in that, in that quote. But ultimately, it's a choice. It's a choice. We choose Then Jesus commends his disciples because they've made that choice as he would commend you for making that same choice. But blessed are your eyes for they, have, for they see and your ears for they hear. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, <clears throat> Jesus is saying you are blessed because your eyes saw, your ears heard. Because you were willing to believe, willing to believe God's word, willing to believe when you saw changes taking place in people's lives, saying, that's God. Willing to receive Jesus as your savior king. Because of that, you're able to see the truth. You're able to see in these parables the truth of the word of God being manifested. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't need them explained, Right? Like all of us, you know, we've read parables. We're going to get into some of them as we can in the, few, in the coming weeks. Okay, what in the world? The, the pearl of great price. What in the world is that one about? I'm going to tell you, so don't worry about it. But, <laughs> but you know, these things, sometimes they're not, it's not obvious to us what they mean. But the, the key is we can understand because we, have, because we are saved, because we have faith, because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can understand. Others around us, you can explain it perfectly to an unbeliever. They're not going to get it. It will make no sense to them. And they'll figure out a reason why they're not going to believe it. Because they don't want to. They're unwilling to. Not only blessed, but they were privileged. Verse 17. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The Old Testament prophets and, and wise men as it refers to here, they looked ahead and could see 
what Jesus was doing. That, they, that God allowed them to understand that Jesus, the Messiah, they, didn't know his, they probably didn't know his name was Jesus, they knew the Messiah was coming and that he was gonna do these things. He was gonna do, he was gonna do these miracles, he was gonna teach, he was gonna, he was gonna ultimately die and, 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 and all of these things. They knew all of those things. They looked ahead and wished they could see it. But they didn't get a chance to see it. They believed without seeing. And he's saying to disciples, how blessed are you the things the prophets wished they could see and hear, you know, to hear the Messiah teach. The, the, the Old Testament prophets longed for that, to know the, 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 the words of the Messiah, the Savior King. He says, you, you not only get to hear them, you get to be with him. What a privilege. Same thing is true for us. We have the privilege of not only knowing the words of the Messiah, and understanding these things, we also have the privilege of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The Old Testament prophets did not. And so we have this amazing privilege that we ought to never, never, never despise or diminish. It's amazing. We should rejoice and praise God that he, that he honored us and, and gave us this great privilege. Jesus then explains the meaning of the parable. Verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So he makes it clear here that this is an illustration. It's a parable. It's a, it's a, uh, a word picture. And the, the seed is the word of God. And that the, 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 the wayside is pointing to a person and a person of a particular nature. And that is a nature that is indifferent to the things of God, that is hard to the things of God. This pride and self-righteousness will not allow them to hear. I mean, we, we can think of the in, the in the things that we've already read, the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is doing radical miracles. He's doing things that were so radical they'd never seen anything like it. And then his teaching was on a level that they'd never heard before. And then they, then they ascribe his miracles to, to the ruler of demons. How can they possibly do that? is because they were unwilling to believe that Jesus was a Messiah. They had every bit of evidence. Nothing stood in the way of them believing except their own unwillingness to believe, their own pride, their own self-righteousness. This probably was described me before I was saved. I didn't need the gospel because I didn't need God. I was self-sufficient, ignorantly self-sufficient. I didn't know what I was doing. I probably still don't know. Huh, Cal? My heart was hard toward the things of God. And thankfully, God can break up the hardest of hearts. Verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the shallow hearer. 
Now, they love the idea of the gospel. They love the idea of, of, of being saved. They love the idea of heaven. They love the idea of, you know, maybe being a part of a church, being, you know, in, you know, in a community like that. You know, they love the idea of all of those things. But they want, they want the gospel without a commitment to God. They want, they want it easy. They want an easy gospel, I want, I want the gospel that doesn't ask anything of me, doesn't ask me to change, doesn't ask me to repent, doesn't ask me to do anything. I want it easy. They want a Joel Osteen gospel. Is that going to get me in trouble? No, I don't think so. Not here it's not. The problem with that, as soon as life gets hard, as soon as there's any pushback because of the word of God, there's any resistance because of the word of God, they just crumble. They, they just dry up because there's no root. There's nothing holding them in place. Jesus told us. The scriptures tell us very clearly that, you know, sometimes being a Christian is going to be hard. And then Paul later in Acts 14, said this, we must, notice that, must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a Joel Osteen kind of gospel, right? You're not, that's not an easy gospel to say, hey, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to follow Jesus, that's okay, but you know what? It's going to cost you something. It's going to be hard sometimes. Third type of soul, verse 22, soil, soul, soil, something. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. This is the cluttered hearer. The gospel for this person is just one of many things in their lives and it, and it has no more or less importance than anything else. It's just there with everything else in life. And the problem with that, if your faith of the gospel and, and the things of God don't have a place of preeminence in your life, they don't take the first place in your life, the reality is that the cares of this world are, are relentless. Somebody say, I, I get that, I know that, I feel that. Or the deceitfulness of riches. So we have the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, two different things, but they have the same effect on us that they, they grab our attention, they try to hold our attention, and, if, and if, if the gospel isn't the main thing, then those other things will choke out the gospel, and, and it won't take very long. There's 23, the fourth type. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. This is the responsive here. They hear the gospel message. They are willing to believe. And because they're willing to believe, faith is grown in them. And from that faith, fruit is produced. A crop, a, a harvest is produced from that. Now, my guess is that this describes most of us here today, that we are people who have had the seed planted in good ground, good earth, that we, that we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, you know, and we are bearing some kind of fruit, some 
people it's 100, some people 60, some people 30. That it's just, you know, the varying, same seed, varying ground, varying harvest. The key to this parable is understanding God's word. Understanding the word of God. That, that if we are going to be people that produce a good harvest, good fruit out of our lives, it's because we understand God's word. Now, you can't understand God's word apart from God, right? Do you get that? If you don't have the spirit of God in you, you'll never understand God's word. That, that, that you'll, you, may, you may comprehend, you may, be, you may know, there are people out there, there are unbelievers out there that know more about the Bible than most of us do. But they're unbelievers. They may, they may know it, but they don't really understand it. You know, the same cedar, the same seed is sown by the sower, and the only difference that, that determines how much fruit it bears, how much is harvested, is the condition of the soil. The degree to which we accept and understand God's word as truth with an intent to obey will determine how much fruit we bear. Only one type of the four produced fruit. You know, we like to think that, you know, the, you know, the first three, and, you know, the first one, okay, we can tell. That one, they, they were never saved. They were never going to be saved. They're, they're lost, whatever. The other two, maybe. Maybe they were. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. They may have, they may have showed signs of salvation, but they weren't really saved. Only the fourth one. All others. For because, because of unbelief, an unwillingness to believe and yield to the, to the rulership, to the authority, to the kingship of Jesus Christ. There, that's the only one. Only those who will believe and obey. Now, even as believers, here's the key for us. Because we're saved, right? I'm guessing... Most of you are saved. If you're not, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But if you're saved here today, you go, okay, good. I'm in that fourth group. I'm good. I'm okay. I don't have to listen anymore. Yeah, guess what? <laughs> we have to watch out in our heart for areas of these first three, these first three soils. Because, because there are things in your heart that are not right. Now, you may, not, you may not think about it. You may, not, you may not ponder this. But the reality, there are places in your heart where you're a little, you're a little hard-hearted. That maybe, maybe God needs to break up the ground in your heart to produce fruit in that area. We have to watch out for areas in our life where we are indifferent to the things of God, to the things that, that God cares about that we don't. There are, things in, there are things that we look out in the world and say, I don't care about that. But wait a minute, God cares about that. I don't care about that person. God cares about that person. There are things that we, 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 don't, we may not even be conscious of them. But because we're not conscious of it, it's not producing the kind of fruit that God wants us to. Now, when God's ready, he's going to make you aware of it. That, that's, that's, that's the reality of that. But when he does make you aware of it, you gotta be willing. God, I believe. 
You've shown me this. You've shown me this hardness of my heart or this place where my faith is shallow, where it's not very deep. It's a, and, and, and I don't really, I don't believe the way that I should or, you know, I, I'm allowing some other outside influence to control or to speak to me on this particular topic, whatever it might be. And God says, okay, we need to work on that. Or you allow in some part of your life the things of this world to choke out the gospel. We've got to be careful of all those things. Watch out for indifference, shallowness, and clutter. And we play a role in that. We have to allow God to do that work. But to do that, we have to go into it intentionally saying, you know, as we get into open God's word and we say, God, I, I, I know I'm not perfect, right? You know, that's a good place to start. Do you know that? You know, just admit to God you're not perfect, like you're telling him a secret or something. And that's not a mystery to God. You know, there are no mysteries to God. And you reconfess it to him and say, God, I'm not perfect. And I know there are things in my life where maybe, uh, maybe there's hardness. Maybe there's indifference in something. Maybe there's shallowness in something. Maybe there's clutter in something. And, and, and I might not be able to see it. And so as I open up your word, speak to my heart about those things. Show me where I can be better. Where I can, where I can, uh, I can open up this area of my life, and I, I become willing to let you break up the hardness in my heart. Where I'm willing to let you take the rocks out of this area where I'm, my, my faith is shallow, and I, and and you can help me to grow deeper roots in that area where I've got things in my life that just don't belong there, or I've given them too high a priority. And Lord, you you can help me to take that out. God can do all of that, but we have to be willing and deliberate and intentional about doing it. As we spend time in God's word, we do it with the intention, God, break up this heart and make it right. You know, David, you know, David, you know, saying, you know, take this heart out of me and put in a heart that's clean and right and good before you. God can do that. God can change your heart. He's the only one that can change it. But we have to be willing to let him do it. We do it in God's word. We do it in prayer. We do it in community with God's people. We do it as we praise and worship him. We do it as we serve God. All these things will reveal to us something about our heart. Everything we do in relation to God will reveal something to us about our, our own heart, our own relationship with God, that if we're willing and, and, and deliberate about it, will show us these areas where, if, okay, if I just be a little bit more willing in this area, God can do more with me in this area. Don't resist God. The scribes and the Pharisees, the multitudes that followed Jesus, most of them were unwilling. They were unwilling to yield. They were unwilling to believe. Jesus was a curiosity to them. Jesus was something, they could get something out of him. But to them, he was not God. He was not the Savior King. For us, we need to remind ourselves every single day, Jesus, you are my Savior King. Trust him and let the Holy Spirit do that work of breaking up the hard parts of your heart, pulling the weeds of worldly things out and helping you to put the priorities of life into their proper place. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can do that. And he won't do it if you won't let him. So, our, our, 
Our goal today is to allow God to do a work in our hearts, all of us. I don't know about you. I, I would much rather be in the hundredfold fruit category. I want God to produce great fruit out of my life. And we do that by letting him work. And that's going to bring great glory to God. And there's an increased blessing for those who are doing it. You know, God, God always blesses his people when they, are, when they are seeking to obey him and worship him and, and serve him the way that he created them to. When you're doing that, God blesses you. And if you're doing it more, he blesses you more. So what is the fruit of a life that is devoted to Christ? So I'm going to go through just a few, and I'm going to go through them pretty fast. So <clears throat> I'm going to quote some references, but I'm not going to read them to you you can figure out how to find them later and then go look them up. But the fruit of a godly life, number one, holiness. Find that in Romans 6.22. Christian character, Galatians 5.22 and 23. Good works, Colossians 1.10. Winning others to Christ, Romans 1.13. Sharing what we have with others, Romans 15.25-28. Praising God, Hebrews 13.15. Many, many more. There is a fruit that God is looking for in our lives. And as we go through a list like that, we have to, we should pause and reflect. Are, am, I, am, I, am I seeing those kind of fruits being born out of my life? Am I seeing fruit come out of my life? Or am I just kind of going through the spiritual motions? In John 15, we're told that if we abide in Christ, we'll bear more fruit. So one of the keys to us bearing more fruit is abiding in Christ. Because if you abide in Christ, he's going to show you some of these things. He's going to point to some of these, these fruits. Say, hey, you know what? You could be producing that fruit, but we need to do some work in that ground here before you can. He'll show you that. As we abide in him, and the Bible says, and John 15 says, that the Father will prune us and he will, he will shape us and, and, and help us to grow more and to produce more fruit. God, we, we just want to pause again and just reflect on the reality of how blessed we are and how privileged we are. We are blessed to know God. You know God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know God. And you have the privilege of understanding and seeing and comprehending the mysteries of God. And you get to play a role in his great plan for this, for this world. It is amazing what God will do with us if we'll just give our hearts to him. We're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that. And then David and the team will come up and lead us in one last song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time and this place. As we come and, and give, our, give our hearts and our attention to you, we do so recognizing, Lord God, that, that um, God, you know our names. Lord, let that always fill us with wonder that we are, we are not some random accident. We are not some, some thing that just happened in this world. You created us. You created us for the purpose that you might love us, that you might 
that we might be a part of your family. You know us by name. You know everything there is to know about us. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. But not only that, you've created us for a purpose in this world. And that purpose is good works. And those good works come out of, out of a heart that is willing to believe willing to respond to you. And so I pray for each of us as, 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 as likely that we're all believers here today, or most of us at least are believers here today, that we, that we at least made that one choice to believe that you are the Messiah, that our, that our sin separated us from you, and that by believing that you died on the cross for our sins, that our sins are forgiven. And that by turning away from those sins, we have the promise of eternal life in heaven. And we thank you for that, God. But that's not the end of the story. There's so much more to this thing we call Christianity. And that's all, that more is fruit, good fruit born in your name and for your glory, for the blessing of others. And so I pray as we sit here today that we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to minister to each of our hearts. Where do you need to work in our hearts? Where is it that we can, we can prepare our hearts to bear more fruit for you, God? I thank you for all that you are and do in our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here, anyone watching online that does not have a relationship with you, that they would humble themselves before you and recognize that, that they need you. That you, would, that you would help them to be willing to believe and if they are willing, God, you'll, you'll meet them right where they are. Whatever's going on, whatever has gone on, whatever, they, whatever they've done, whatever they haven't done, you'll meet them right there. And you'll change their hearts. I pray. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone, that they would just open up their heart right this very moment to receive you as their Savior King and allow you to do that work to help them to believe and obey and to serve. Lord, all of us, Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you are good and awesome, that you are amazing, that you, you, you know us and you love us and you guide us and you provide for us and protect us and all of those things. We thank you for all of that, Lord God. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would respond to your goodness by doing good to those around us. And that they would, that the other, the world would see that there's a God in heaven who loves them because we love them. We thank you, Lord, for all the good that you are and do. And we pray all these things in the precious and matchless name of our Savior King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. 
Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Thank you.